And now for something completely different. Forget everything you've been told by others before. Get ready for the real deal. The full story. Real talk about money, markets, life. Now, it's The Real Investment Show with Lance Roberts. Presented by RIA Advisors. And good morning and welcome to the show today. It's, of course, February the 1st. That's right, January behind us and a brand new month in front of us. And it's, it's a shorter month. It's only 28 days, right? It's not leap year, right? No, okay, just 28 days. See, I'm not trying to drag things out. <laughs> I know now you're checking, right? <laughs> so, by the way, uh, interesting news today, right? This day in history, I think it was 1945, if I'm not mistaken. Nope, just 28 days? Yeah, see, there we go. Good. So, today was the day that RCA released the first 45 RPM. Really? Yes. Now, do people know what those are? No, I was going to say, that if you show one of, do you remember those little clips you used to yes. have to, that yes. you have to put? So if you don't know what a 45 record is, is back in the day, right after stone tablets, right? So <laughs> I think I think Graham had just died at this point. So anyway, um, but no, so RCA releases this 45 record. And one of their commercials is that you can store 150 hours of music within one foot of shelf space. Wow! Right, because you could these are small little forty-five, yeah. you know, forty-five records, mm -hmm. and of course you had to either have the adapter mm -hmm. on your record player, or you had to have these little clips. And I actually saw these clips on uh, eBay or somewhere the other day. I can't right. remember where it was. Yeah. But they said, "Ask your kids what these are." And if you didn't grow up at the time <laughs> that you were buying forty-five <laughs> records, and of course you know they gave you one good song. I remember one of my first forty-fives was Barracuda. And by heart. By heart, yes. yes. And when you flipped it over with some random song that they did that you, know, it's, it's, you don't even know what it was. Something else from Dreamboat Annie or uh, something. Exactly, yeah. right? So you got, you got one good song, and then you got the B-side, right? right? <laughs> so, but anyway, today was uh, you know, the, first, the first time that RCA released 45. So. Wow. Interesting day in February. Do you still have any 45s? No, unfortunately, if I wish I did. You know, LPs are making a big comeback I now. know. So that is, it's kind of interesting. You know, now all these people are kind of going back to wanting to listen to mm -hmm. the old vinyl. Because the, the reasoning is, and, that, you know, <laughs> you always have to go with this. Well, why do you like LPs? Why are LPs making a comeback? Because the sound is richer. It is. Of course, you know, you get a pair of big speakers. Yep. And, and, a, and a tube type amplifier. Correct. Yeah. And the sound is richer. Or it's just louder. One of the two. You know, you can either play digital music <laughs> off your phone or you have these big, giant, six foot, you know. But at our age, who can tell? I know, right? You know, if you have, you have a couple of, you know, 12 inch subs and, you know, you're, you're good. But yes, the music will sound a lot richer. We were in, in Best Buy over the weekend. Yes. A whole array of turntables that I was drooling over. Oh, I know. Yeah. I know. You know, one of the one of the neat kind of companies that makes receivers now is a mm -hmm. company called Macintosh. Yes. And they actually have these, you know, receivers that are clear they're clear cased mm -hmm. with the tubes inside that you know they light yeah. up and all this. But it's very cool. Yeah, it's, but it's very cool and very expensive, by the way. I <laughs> yeah, mean they're not you, you better be the top one percent of income earners to own a Macintosh. They may cost amplifier. more now relatively than they did back then. Yeah. But they are they are quite yeah, mm -hmm. I, I agree with you, right? It's like, well, it's like someday when I grow up. 
Michelle <laughs> out. It's basically a Macintosh receiver will run you the price of a Volkswagen. Pretty much. I mean, there's, they kind of get in the same ballpark. Anyway, uh, stuff to get into the show today. Uh, obviously, first day of January now. Uh, since 1959, when there has been a trifecta of disappointment. In other words, the Santa Claus rally fails, the first five days of January fails, and of course, the month of January fails. Um, the markets have been down for the year about 9% on average, with the exception of 2014, which now, why was 2014 different? Well, coming out of 2013, and again, this was really in 2012, but we had a slowdown in manufacturing, but the Fed was doing a tremendous amount of liquidity at that point in 2014. Uh, they were doing, we were, had done Operation Twist, and then over fears of the um, kind of the fiscal debt uh, package that we did back in 2011, there was this concern about the fiscal cliff in 2013. So Ben Bernanke was injecting a lot of liquidity into the markets to hedge off this, uh, what they call the fiscal cliff in terms of the, of the financial debt and government. So that was really kind of what bailed out the markets in 2014 more than anything else. But outside of that one event year, Every year that you've had the trifecta of negativity, and we talked a little about this yesterday, so goes January, so goes the year. But when you've had the trifecta of a disappointing Santa Claus rally, now we did get a Santa Claus rally um, in the last week of December, but that failed in the first five days of January. So that was a negated Santa Claus rally because the Santa Claus rally goes last week of January, for, uh, sorry, last week of December, first week of January. Um, first five days of January failed, and then also the month failed. So now, despite saying that, and looking forward, <laughs> we had a great day in the markets yesterday. Markets kind of started out a little bit weak in the morning, but they gained steam all afternoon. And that's actually a very positive sign. Two things occurred yesterday. Started out weak, finished the day at highs for the, for the day. So that's a very good indication for some follow-through activity here in the short term. Most importantly, very clear buy signal now triggered on our money flow indicator. Overbought conditions are not there yet, so we still have some room to go here. But uh, again, as we kind of keep a watch on this, we're about to run into some pretty tough overhead resistance. We've got the 20 days sitting below the 50 day moving average, and there's a cluster of that resistance. And also these lows kind of going back to now, we're now about to challenge those lows from December. So we've now got a good bit of overhead resistance the markets are going to run in here in the next uh, day or so. After the bell today, there's some big earnings coming out. We've got Google, AMD. So there's going to be some big movers after the bell today. We're right in the midst of earnings season. So, so far, companies are beating estimates, but they are also guiding down and they're not beating by nearly as much as we've seen previously. And this is <clears throat> what we've discussed before. This is going to lead to a downward revision in earnings estimates for the rest of this year. Again, this is how we play the beat the estimate game. <laughs> so once we get this report, we'll start to see forward estimates begin to come down rather, rather sharply so that companies can beat those estimates when we get into the second quarter, third quarter, fourth quarter of this year. But those estimates are gonna come down, particularly as we get slower rates of economic growth throughout the year. But that's for later, for right now, good news. And we've talked about this over the last few days. The good news here is that we are getting this fat rally that we needed. Markets had gotten very, very oversold uh, you know, over the last couple of weeks. I mean, it was a pretty brutal 
January, especially outside of the top five, 10 stocks of the markets, those really of what supported the market was the Apple, the Microsoft, the Googles, those really held up much better than other big areas of the markets, particularly in the tech sector, really took a pounding in December and, and, and January. But markets got very oversold here, so this rally now back, not surprising. And, and again, we'll see how far this goes, but again, as we get into February, February tends to be one of the weaker months of the year, but given the weakness that we had in January, I suspect that February will perform a little bit better this year, even though it may not be exhilarating. <laughs> You know, but we may likely see some better performance in February given the beating that we had here over the last month. Most likely we've gotten a big chunk of this concern behind us. Now the Fed meeting is in March, so we won't really know much more about the Federal Reserve and what they're gonna do until then. Now we are gonna get a lot of speakers though, so we're gonna have a lot of indications about how aggressive they're gonna be. Are they gonna back off some of that aggressiveness? Uh, we saw yesterday some economic reports coming out, Dallas Fed and others starting to show some signs that we may have seen the peak in inflation. If that continues here, and if we have a weak employment report in January, that could bring off some of that pressure on the Fed to act. We'll talk more about this, we'll come back to the break. Realinvestmentadvice.com is the website. Get by there, our new article is out today. Is the bottom end? That's the name of the article, realinvestmentadvice.com. Get daily investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com. Are you leaving thousands in Social Security money on the table? Prepare to properly claim your Social Security at our next virtual Lunch and Learn. What boomers need to know about Social Security. Your claiming choices now can affect your loved ones later. Join Richard Rosso and Danny Ratliff for our next RIA Advisors Virtual Lunch and Learn. Thursday, February 10th at noon. What boomers need to know about Social Security. Register now at realinvestmentadvice.com, realinvestmentadvice.com. The Real Investment Show. So, you know, there have been lots of... Uh, you know, discussion, we've been talking about it as well. And one of kind of the underlying discussions that we've had is whether or not the Fed will be as aggressive as, you know, headlines suggest, right? They've uh, a lot of Fed speakers have been coming out talking about, hey, we're going to hike rates. We're going to do it aggressively. We're going to tighten QE. We're going to hike rates as soon as March. And that's put a lot of pressure on stocks here over the last few days. And the question has been is, A, how, you know, how big of a decline in the stock market would it take to get them to start walking back some of that language? And B, um, you know, will the economy actually even let them hike rates much? And we've written a couple of articles on this here recently and uh, actually had part two out on Friday talking about how the Fed probably won't be able to hike rates nearly as much as they expected. And I thought it was interesting because, again, this is all comes down to, you know, this inflation story, right? We've got this rampant inflation and the Fed's got to hike rates and, you know, we've got people piling into the commodity trade, et cetera. And, you know, it, it's interesting because rate hike odds are now starting to drop pretty dramatically. Now, we talked about yesterday that Atlanta Fed's Rafael Bostic, now he was a more of a hawkish Fed member. And he sparked a fresh, 
kind of a fresh round of fears um, that really kind of catalyzed a lot of the overnight weakness that we had seen in the markets coming into Monday. Now, that evaporated pretty quickly because he started backing off of that language. <laughs> and it really didn't take much. He said uh, this was his quote. He was interviewed by Apollo's uh, Yahoo Finance and said and clarified that a 50 basis point hike is not his preferred policy action in March adding that the Fed is not fixed on a set policy progression and that we should get a few rate moves in hand and reduce the size of the balance sheet. Now, this is interesting that he said this because this is something that I had talked about with Charles Payne before, is that before you start reducing the balance sheet, do your rate hikes first. Use your QE to help support financial markets if that's what you're concerned about. And we all know you're, you're, we all know you're concerned about financial stability. But use the QE to support the financial markets while you while you hike rates. And then once the economy normalizes around higher rates, then reduce your QE, right? But they always do it backwards, right? They, they reduce their QE first, and then they start hiking rates. So you take away the support, and then you smack them in the face with higher rates. <laughs> um, he would go on to say here, he says, I would adjust my policy to maybe be not as aggressive in terms of raising interest rates particularly if inflation decelerates more than expected. So that was enough of a walk back there that uh, the odds for March rate hikes actually dropped fairly sharply yesterday. It's also what sent the markets running like a banshee yesterday, with particularly tech stocks leading the way, because if the Fed is going to back off rate hikes and if inflation decelerates, that's bad for the commodity trade, good for the growth stock trade. And... You know, that's kind of been one of our premises here over the last you know couple of weeks we've been talking about, writing about, is that the growth trade may be where you want to be, despite the fact that we have current rates of inflation, because the, the inflation that we're seeing is a function of an artificial nature that is now all reversing. Now, this, of course, this is all contingent upon the government not passing another spending bill, right? So... Interestingly enough, the Biden, uh, Joe Biden had a meeting with all the governors yesterday um, talking about this, his quote unquote, we're going to be sending you a hell of a lot of money talking about the infrastructure bill. So the infrastructure bill that was passed now was funded and they're going to be sending that money to states to start building up, you know, roads, bridges, you know, all these type of things that are supposedly infrastructure. Now, the problem with it is only about 10 percent of the spending actually goes to infrastructure. The rest of it is for a lot of other purposes that really don't create economic activity to a great degree. So, you know, two things occur with infrastructure, and everybody gets all excited about this. Is like, yeah, you know, we're going to inject some more money into the economy. This will make the economy stronger. The problem with infrastructure projects is that it takes, A, a very long time. It's like, great, okay, give me money. Um, generally, that money gets used for other stuff to begin with, but the projects take a long time to put together. And by the time you, you know, get the project funded and then figure out what you're going to spend it on and then you kind of get everything together and make the plans for whatever infrastructure, pro we're, going to we're going to build a new bridge, so we got to get an architect and we got to do all these other things, right? By the time you do all that, it takes a while to get a project off the ground and then it takes time to build it. So the, the input into the economy, when you, when you talk about an economy that's a $28, $29 trillion economy, right? Or sorry, that's the debt. We're talking about a $20 trillion economy. <laughs> um, you know, throwing another trillion at it over the course of a few years 
it doesn't make that big of an impact, right? You're not going to get a surge of economic growth and activity out of $1 trillion spread out over a few years. So, you know, we all get excited about these spending bills and we're going to build back these, you know, we're going to build back better. But the problem is, is that it takes such a long time. And, and again, a lot of that money gets wasted uh, to a large degree. It doesn't really actually wind up creating any type of real economic activity. And, and as Obama, President Obama said, when he passed the infrastructure bill, he, he found he, a few, they passed the bill. Then a couple of years later, he says, well, the infrastructure projects were, weren't really as uh, shovel ready as we thought. And that, that's the problem with infrastructure. They're not shovel ready. You can't just you know, immediately go out and, and drop a trillion dollars and have a trillion dollar hit to the economy in terms of growth and jobs and all these type of things because of, because of the lead time that it takes to get these projects going and, and the waste. The, the problem with any time that you inject government in the middle of a project, you get a lot of waste, um, overages, those type of things. And if you don't believe me, just go take a look at the high-speed rail boondoggle out in California. It tells you all you need to know. So, you know, so this is so that's why we're going to get deflation later this year, unless somehow you pass a Build Back Better plan. Now, that's also on the table. Um, Congress is coming back to work today, <laughs> if you want to call it that. And now the Democrats are pretty much kowtowing to Joe Manchin saying, okay, look, we, we need to pass something on the Build Back Better plan. So tell us what you'll pass and we'll pass that. So we'll see what kind of tenor that Joe Manchin has in terms of wanting to pass more spending bills, et cetera, before the midterm election. Because again, after he, when Joe Manchin and Kristen Sinema both kind of rejected the Build Back Better plan, both of them raised a lot a lot of funding for their campaign. Um, Joe Manchin raised like $300,000 the next day. Kristen Sinema's raised like $1.5 million after they rejected the Build Back Better plan. So it just kind of tells you that even on the Democrat side of the ledger, there's a lot of Democrats that don't support a lot of the social spending. And so it's going to be even more difficult now that Manchin and Cinema have raised capital for being anti-socialist, so to speak, to make it even more difficult for the Democrats to pass any other type of spending bill now between now and November. So again, you know, the whole point about this is, is that if you're banking on stronger inflation, you need more liquidity input into the economy. And that doesn't seem to be anywhere on the horizon right now. So that's going to leave the markets pretty much you know, at the mercy of inflation and interest rates and QE. So in other words, the Fed. <laughs> so, um, and, and that's really just, and, and really this is just kind of where we are at the moment. Uh, you, know, uh, you know, as we look forward with liquidity coming out of the system, inflation is going to peak. It is going to start to decelerate if it decelerates faster than expected, which is possible given that the Atlanta Fed is now poking the bear with a 0.1% growth rate for the first quarter of this year in terms of GDP. One of the big drivers of the growth versus inflation trade is going to be the labor report when it comes out for January. There is concern right now that the labor, the jobs report is going to show a negative growth rate for, for jobs in January. Now, this is one of the months, though, that has one of the biggest seasonal adjustments of the year. 
So there'll be a lot of debate over as, as over the veracity of the employment report. But if the headline report comes out and shows a loss of 100,000 jobs in January, as an example, that's going to really start to concern the Fed in terms of being more aggressive on monetary policy. And again, if they begin to back off monetary policy in terms of hiking rates and reducing QE, that's going to be better for growth stocks than for the inflation stocks. So this is one of the reasons that we've been talking about lately about taking some profits out of the reflation trade, out of energy and those type of stocks. And, you know, for right now, just kind of holding cash. But, you know, it's looking more likely that growth trade may be back and, and, you know, and, and more of an important form as we go forward. Because, again, what if we do get into this environment where we're looking at slower rates of economic growth, slower rates of inflation, then you're going to be looking for companies to invest in that can generate growth and profits in that type of environment. And that's pretty much your major tech companies, and as evidenced by the recent reports from Apple and from Microsoft in general. So one of the other things, and we'll come back and talk some more about this after the break, is what to be expecting economically as we go out for the rest of this year as well. Again, there's a lot of hope that we're going to see strong economic growth, but there's also the concern, as I was just saying, because of lack of liquidity, because we pull for consumption, et cetera. What does that kind of look like in, in terms of economic growth? And again, one of the reasons why we could see, and again, if, and, and if January is any indication of this, why we could see a, a more troubling year this year in terms of financial markets than what we've been used to as of late. Be right back after the break. Investment Advice blog. It's required reading for the informed investor. Catch it today at realinvestmentadvice.com. Are you leaving thousands in Social Security money on the table? Prepare to properly claim your Social Security at our next virtual Lunch and Learn. What boomers need to know about Social Security. Your claiming choices now can affect your loved ones later. Join Richard Rosso and Danny Ratliff for our next RIA Advisors Virtual Lunch and Learn. Thursday, February 10th at noon. What boomers need to know about Social Security. Register now at realinvestmentadvice.com, realinvestmentadvice.com. You're listening to The Real Investment Show. As I said just for the break, lack of infrastructure, lack of spending. And again, we're going to have infrastructure spending, right? But the problem is, is that it's not really infrastructure. It's all going to other stuff. And ultimately, what 
you know, we're talking about here is slower economic growth as, as we go forward. And there's a lot of reasons to expect that. First of all, when you pull forward as much consumption as we did in 2020, 2021, because of all, you know, $1,400 checks to households, $900 checks, $1,400 checks, child tax credits, unemployment benefits, you name it. We pull forward a lot of consumption, right? So that created a lot of economic growth. But it's not sustainable because, again, what you need for sustainable economic growth is people producing. And you need everybody at work producing materials. And manufacturing is much better for that than services. Low-wage-paying services don't really promote a lot of economic growth. But this is really kind of the juxt uh, you know, kind of the, the, the just of the article that we wrote yesterday about the hard asset trade. A lot of people right now chasing hard assets and commodities and you know, it's interesting when we when we talk about this, because, again, right now, we you know, we're talking about natural gas futures, right? They're surging at the moment because of expectations. We're going to have this massive Arctic chill and it's going to potentially threaten the power grids uh, again, kind of like we saw back in 2020 when we were all shut down in our house. Or sorry, in 2021, we're all shut down in our house and, you know, we're all freezing to death and <laughs> and no and there's no. Uh, no power, right? We're all out in our cars charging our phones. I don't have that problem now. I bought a generator. So. Oh, yeah. So now I'm, I'm not actually now I'm like rooting for it. Come on, let's see this thing work, right? <laughs> Shut it down. <laughs> There's three of us. Boom, boom, boom. One, two, three. It's like generator row. Exactly. Yeah, just every once in a while I randomly just go outside in the garage and just throw all the breakers just to, <laughs> just to let it work. Testing. <laughs> I'm teasing. I'm teasing. Um, but, you know, the, you know, and again, and, and so you're seeing oil prices up and the headline, you know, $90 oil is on the beginning. Yeah, and be careful with this stuff because, again, this is media headlines. And they, you know, these headlines are to get you to do clickbait and they typically, you know, are, are based on something that happened recently and they begin to extrapolate this all out into this is going to be the way it is forever. And that's really just not the case because when you start talking about, you know, oil prices and energy prices and, and these type of things, it's a function of economic activity. It's supply versus demand. It's, it's all these type of things that drive it. And, you know, we can go back in history, and there's a long history to commodity prices, right? And, and you know, I, I just took some data recently from, for, our, for the article, which is on the website right now, by the way. I just took, you know, looked at commodity prices since 1980, right? So, so yes, just, just prior to 1980, right, we had the big oil spike, and, and that was driven by the oil, uh, the, the oil embargo and, and all of the things that were going on. It was massive oil spike. And... After that oil spike, of course, you know, things started to return to normal. And, you know, at the time back in the late 70s when we were having this oil embargo, everybody thought that this was going to be the new paradigm, right? This is going to be the way it was forever. But it wasn't. The economy began to slow down. Inflation began to fall. Oil prices came back down to earth. And commodity prices then fell from 1979 all the way through 2001 because production was rising and demand was falling because we had we were getting slower rates of economic growth and so as you saw as a consequence of that is is depreciating oil prices and 
despite the fact that back in the 70s, we were talking about, you know, equivalent rates of oil prices to today, like $150 a barrel. In, in, 20, in 2000, oil prices were about $20 a barrel, and we were worried about oil prices going to 10 and then, short, and, and again, shortly after that, then we had this massive surge in oil prices and commodity prices because it then became an issue of foreign consumption. China was accumulating all the, all the commodities. And so commodity prices started to, to rise, and, and we were getting to peak oil production. We were going to run out of oil. By 2008, and, and you remember the headlines back then. It was like, oh, peak oil, we're, we're all out of oil. We're all going to die now because we can't get any more oil. And then we had the fracking miracle. And we discovered fracking, and all of a sudden, we had supply coming out our wazoo, which is a technical term. <laughs> so now we've got just a, a, a load of oil coming out from everywhere. And the peak oil becomes peak glut and oil prices and commodity prices collapsed along with the global kind of economic collapse during the financial crisis. Now, then, you know, following that, we had another big rally in oil prices as we got into, you know, more QE and, um, started you know really chasing oil prices fracking companies these type of things and of course demand was picking up post financial crisis now so now the economy is kind of getting back on track we're starting to see some return of inflation so yeah oil prices go up with that but shortly after that peak 2011 2012 we get into a manufacturing recession the economy economy starts slowing down oil prices begin to decline and look we can just go through this whole cycle right oil prices ebb and flow with the economy and inflationary expectations. And while there's a lot of inflationary expectations uh, right now, those inflationary expectations and economic growth were all a function of artificial liquidity that is now going to reverse. So the whole point of the article is that we regularly see these kind of booms and busts in these types of assets. But, you know, unlike stocks, these things tend to bust a lot and fairly regularly. So you want to be careful. I'm not saying that they're going to bust tomorrow, go sell all your hard assets. I'm not saying that at all. I'm just saying just understand there's a dynamic to all of this that is very important. And the, and the biggest one is really simply just to watch M2, which is the, the money supply. Because, again, that's that inflationary impulse. And when you have increases in money supply, you obviously get an increase in commodity prices because of the inflationary impulse. Well, money supply is reversing and sharply. It's about a nine-month lead time to all that. The other side of that is also to make sure and watch the dollar. We're on a real potential here for the dollar to break out for a variety of reasons this year. If that's the case... A stronger dollar makes commodities more expensive because we trade commodities in dollars everywhere in the world. That makes commodities more expensive for our foreign partners. Also suggests that emerging markets are going to have much more difficulty as well because of, the, uh, of a stronger dollar. So those are really the two things to watch. If you're long the hard asset trade, 
you need to pay attention to the dollar, pay attention to money supply and economic growth. Those are those are really the things that are going to dictate the outcome of that commodity trade. And if you're uh, and we talked about this, you know, previously, but this is a whole kind of juxtaposition of the article is that if you're banking your entire portfolio on an inflation trade, be careful. If we begin to get a deflationary impulse into the economy, or I shouldn't say deflationary because that would imply you know negative rates of inflation. If we had a disinflationary impulse in the economy, that's going to bode better. Weather, bleh, that's going to bode better. <laughs> I'll spit that out. For as I said earlier, companies that can grow earnings in a slower inflationary, slower economic growth rate environment. So that's the thing to think about. That article is on the website now. Uh, realinvestmentadvice.com. It's called the hard asset trade. Is it a trap in the making? Because this is this, this I've seen this numerous times repeatedly, and we've had these conversations on on multiple occasions. That you know, we watch individuals get trapped on these trading ideas, and they're win and they're winning, right? So you're making all this money. It's great, and and you're buying all these stocks, and you're you're, just, you're doing fantastic. And the problem with the commodity hard asset trade is that when it breaks, it breaks very quickly. You don't get a lot of notice. It's it's in, in you know if we go back to our chart, you can see it. You know it's a function of just kind of booms and busts. There's not really much in between for commodities and hard assets. So just something to be. I just want you to be careful of it. And you know if you're very long that that trade. And you're betting on this inflationary impulse that's just going to, we're going to go back to the 70s. There's really not much of an indication that that's going to happen. Back in the 70s, you have to remember that we were, we were a manufacturing-based economy. We were growing at 8 9% economic growth rates. So that's why you had higher rates of inflation. And then you laid on the oil embargo on top of it, and then you just got a spike in inflation and rates. So, but you already had much stronger rates of inflation back in the 70s because you had very strong economic growth. You don't have that today. And that's the big difference. We have a deflationary economy because of the debt, because of demographics. Those are the things that are going to continue to weigh on the economy as we go forward. Okay, come back from the break. Of course, the question is, 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 is kind of the big issue, of course, is the bottom end. That's, that's really where we are. So we'll kind of come back. We'll look at a couple of charts on uh, our SimpleVisor um, website and kind of go through a couple of markets here and just talk about, you know, is the bottom end and, and what potentially to do now with your money. Be right back.
Get daily investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com. Are you leaving thousands in Social Security money on the table? Prepare to properly claim your Social Security at our next virtual Lunch and Learn. What boomers need to know about Social Security. Your claiming choices now can affect your loved ones later. Join Richard Rosso and Danny Ratliff for our next RIA Advisors Virtual Lunch and Learn. Thursday, February 10th at noon. What boomers need to know about Social Security. Register now at realinvestmentadvice.com. Realinvestmentadvice.com. The Real Investment Show. You know, just just uh, just some of the stuff that I see come across the television. So we so if if you're in your car driving, please keep your eye on the road yes. and and yeah. don't try to look at your phone. But if you ever watch our live stream, uh, which you can get on our website, of course, uh, we stream daily live to YouTube for you. Uh, so you can share in all of the charts and graphics that we share. But I will always explain them to you just in case. I will give you a visual image just in case you are in your car driving. We're not going to leave you out. Don't worry. Um, but we have three monitors in our studio, and and just sometimes the stuff that comes up on some of these news channels is just is just I just want to just go, just mind boggling. I'm, I'm just I'm out. <laughs> <laughs> so the latest one is Governor Newsom is now going to give inmates on death row. He's going to move inmates off of death row into mm. better facilities and give them amenities. Amenities? Amenities. Because they need a better life. What's left of it? Because, well, no, um, he won't sign a death warrant. He, 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 oh, really? Even though, even though they passed in California mm-hmm. two, two, two rules, uh, two laws uh, about death row. One was to expedite the process of once you are indicted, convicted, and sentenced to death, to expedite that process to get you kind of moving along towards the end a little faster. Um, and, of course, the other was the actual ability to provide the death sentence in California. Well, Governor Newsom won't sign an order for the death sentence. He just it, it says it's against his conscience as governor. So instead now he's now going, he, he, does, he thinks they deserve a better life. And so, you know, I just can't imagine being the parent of somebody who has lost a child or somebody to a serial murderer or whatever um and to find out that they're being transferred into a better place with more amenities that's got to be tough on the parent that's what i'm saying that's why i'm sitting there going what (laughs) i'm just i'm out i'm out this is getting ridiculous and you know that's the other thing if you're moving from california to texas welcome love you glad you're here you know Brent, what is the nat- what is the state slogan? Yeah, I'll, I'll, let's do it this way. Okay. Multiple choice. State <laughs> slogan of Texas. Don't tread on me. Come and take it. Or friendship. It's friendship. It is friendship. Yes. No, most people don't know that. Yeah. But it's true. I mean, drive Texas, friendly. Yeah. All just stay. Stuff. Just stay out of the left lane. Yeah. The left lane is for 90 and above. <laughs> you know, if you leave your house half an hour early to get to a meeting that's only five minutes from your house, stay in the right lane. 
So. Well, you know, it, it is state law. Slower traffic, stay right. It is. That is yeah. correct. It is state law. But there are those people that yeah. leave half an hour early for a five-minute meeting. Yep. <laughs> so, I got the, behind one this morning on the, <laughs> on the feeder road. They're the same ones that drive around in the rain with their flashers on. Yes, exactly. So if you're moving from California, love you. Welcome New York, too. Love mm-hmm. you. Welcome yep. you. Yep. Come be a Texan. It's a great place to live. Wonderful people here. Very friendly. Just don't vote the same way. Remember. That's, that's all we ask. You're refugees. <laughs> not correct. missionaries. Exactly. So just a little side note. Mm-hmm. Don't want to wind up. Anyway, is the bottom end. That's the because uh, <laughs> I think it is in California. So. <laughs> and I know, look, I know we've got listeners in California and, and I'm just picking on you this morning. OK, so don't be offended. You know, don't be offended. Just uh, just having a little fun with you this morning. <laughs> it is not easy. Brent, shame on you. My mic was off. <laughs> True. <laughs> I'll still call you out. No hot mic moments here. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so is the bottom in? That's the question. So uh, if you go to our, our, our uh, kind of our do-it-yourself investment site, simplevisor.com, um, we actually publish, uh, we've been working on this for a while, I've, I've recently published it lately. It's our money flow indicator. We talk about it a lot on the show that we use internally, and we had to build it um, for simplevisor.com so you could have access to it. And you can plug in your own stocks, your own indexes, whatever, and, you know, take a look at the buy and sell signals that are generated, you know, for that. Um, but the one thing I, uh, that I kind of wanted to note and again, we kind of talk about is the bottom in. There's there's a very likelihood, a very good likelihood at this point that the bottom is in. But I want to put this caveat on it for now. As I said earlier, there's a lot of reasons to expect that we could see a lot of volatility this year, both up and down. And it doesn't necessarily. I mean, in other words, you know, we could wind up the year where we started, and. In the meantime, see 10% down markets, 10% up markets, 10% down markets, 10% up markets, and wind up right where we start, right? I mean, that's, you know, a possibility. But that's going to be a very challenging year to navigate in terms of managing portfolios. And we're trying to figure it out ourselves, right? We don't, we don't, certainly don't have the answers, and we're certainly not prescient. As we talked about yesterday, you know, the best predictors are about three days in advance. So, you know, between now and Friday, hey, I think the markets will be up. That's a fairly safe prediction because we're so oversold. Futures are turning around a bit this morning. Not surprising. First day of February, portfolio managers are going to be positioning, uh, get positions on the books for February, especially coming out of a tough, tough January. NASDAQ was down about 9% in January. It's one of the biggest drops since March of 2020. But it's been a long time since we've had that kind of a correction, right? And, and you know, this is the interesting thing about this is, you know, S&P's down 5.9% for the month. Was down about 9% at its lows. And we were talking about the worst start two days ago. We're talking about the worst start to the year since 1939. Two days later, you're down 5.9%, no big deal right? Just a lot of volatility in between. That makes it very difficult to manage money because you start, you know, 
you sell, and all of a sudden the market turns right around and goes right back up again. It's like, wow, wow, what's going on, right? Tech stocks were supposed to be, you know, supposed to be the end of tech stocks because of higher interest rates, and they've had huge surges the last couple of days. But, you know, this is where the, the, our money flow index kind of helps solve some of that problem because when markets get extremely oversold, now, and, and again, this isn't an absolutely perfect indicator. There's a little bit of interpretation that we have to apply to the index. But, you know, the raw signals are there in terms of buying and selling, but sometimes they can give you a bad signal every now and then. That's just the way it is with all technical indicators. And sometimes we, you know, ignore the signals if the signals are kind of in the middle of the range because that's where you get bad signals. You'll get a short-term little sell, then a buy right behind it and kind of get whipsawed, uh, which happens. But when those signals get to extremes, either really overbought or really oversold, as we are at now, the signals tend to be a lot better. And, you know, as, as we can, can see here, just a couple of days ago, we triggered this buy signal, and it's been a very good buy signal for the last couple of days. And this really kind of goes with any index that we run. Ultimately, I mean, if we take a look at the Qs as an example, it's kind of the same idea. Um, triggered this buy signal about two days ago and have had a very strong rally ever since. And this is the kind of, you know, kind of indicator that we're looking for is when we're looking for these rallies in order to try to keep from making, you know, bigger mistakes is to allow these oversold conditions to work for you. So now the question is, is, was, is that the bottom, right? Did we, did we just see the bottom? Now, if we look back in you know, previous history over the last year, the answer would be yes. That was the bottom. But the difference over the last year was is that we had a Fed that was doing $120 billion in QE every month and interest rates were stuck at zero. Now, you don't have that. Or I should say you have it, but it's being reduced and reversed, at least for the now. That's the, that's the view going forward. So if we assume that the Fed is going to wind down QE to zero, that's going to be less financial support for markets. If they do start hiking interest rates, that's going to slow economic growth, earnings, and potentially cause more turmoil for the markets. Stock markets really don't like rate hikes. Now, from the first rate hike, if the Fed hikes rates in March, the historical average before the market really comes under pressure from rate hikes is about nine months. But given the fact that the economy is already weak and you already have inflationary pressures, at least in the short term, that's dampening consumer demand, you know, those type of things, the impact from rate hikes could happen much quicker than we have seen in the past. Right. The shortest period between the first rate hike and an economic problem, or I should say a financial market problem, was two months. I was back in the 60s. But again, it can happen faster than not. Nine months is the average, which means that obviously sometimes it happens sooner. Sometimes it happens later. My bet, as I, if I was going to bet on this, I would bet that a rate hike would impact the market sooner. But as I said... In the short term, and again, if you go to SimpleVisor.com, um, you can check out all of our research. There's tons of research tools for you. This money flow chart, of course, is one of them, but um, 
overview the markets, x-ray, look for positions, do your own research, do your own analysis, and you can even tap into our portfolio strategies as well, all there at simplevisor.com for you. Check it out. You try, try it free th for free for 30 days. I'll spit that out. Um, but just be careful here. Um, yes, the bottom is in short term. Sustainability right now is going to be the next question, and we're going to need a few more days to figure that out. But, you know, don't panic here. Um, but if you didn't like the sell-off, use this rally to reduce risk a bit, rebalance your portfolios, kind of get yourself in a little bit safer position until we can kind of figure out where we're headed to next. I'm Real Science Roberts. That wraps up the show for the day. Realinvestmentadvice.com. See you back here tomorrow. It's a rich man's world.